Hello and welcome to the Ask Dr. Ben podcast. I'm your host, Ben Johnson. As a holistic-minded physician, I've spent the last 20 years looking outside the box and conducting research to find the true causes of skin conditions and other diseases. And while the focus of my work has been on aesthetic medicine and unlocking the secrets to reversing skin damage, this podcast will also include many other exciting revelations pertaining to you and your family's health and well-being. So let's get started. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Ask Dr. Ben. I'm your host, Dr. Ben Johnson. Normally, we're talking a lot about health and beauty matters. Occasionally, you do hear me talk about viruses, uh, the pandemic, and I thought today was a good time to sort of revisit my position and sort of give you my best guidance for you to help you navigate through the waters and to keep your eyes open. This is just purely about keeping an open mind and remembering that, you know, there's a big attempt right now to get everybody really fearful, which is somewhat valid. It's a serious virus, but fear is never good. Actually, fear weakens your immune system. So being very fearful literally makes you more likely to struggle in clearing the virus. And you also have to remember that the most healthy of us, our infants, our youth, do very well uh, when exposed to COVID. In some, actually, I think in many cases, in the very young, they have little to no symptoms at all. And so you have to know that your body, when it's at its best, manages viruses with phenomenal accuracy. As you've heard me say, we have approximately 10,000 different immune cells and cytokines and peptides that are involved in fighting viral infections. It should be really quite remarkable to you if you can appreciate how phenomenal the body is when it gets exposed to a brand new virus with brand new genes it's never before been exposed to. And it's still capable of shutting that virus down when it's not impeded or burdened by toxins or medications that are interfering with our ability to fight the virus. So have some comfort in knowing that by restoring your health, you can survive a lot of pandemic potentials, a lot of virus exposures and other pathogens. Listen, that's, uh, you know, viruses aren't the only thing to worry about. But one thing that gives me pause is, you know, the scientific literature already identifies that a third of all cancers are caused by viruses. The viral community in their research oftentimes points to the fact that viruses are a highly suspected trigger of autoimmune disease. You know, I've been a physician for a long time and granted, I'm not practicing, but I'm in awe at the number of bizarrely titled new diseases that have been identified apparently by the FDA because usually a new disease is identified so that an effort to create a new medication that, you know, big pharma would like to offer you. But yes, viruses are a problem. You know, it is my opinion that the, the first real exposure to viruses came in the 1918 flu pandemic. And since then, we've seen a host of new diseases that never existed before, let's say, the 1940s. Remember that the first vaccine was in about 1940, and which seems so remarkable because back then, in theory, we were quite naive to disease, what caused it. I mean, we were past the phase of bloodletting, but uh, not by much. Like, it's, it's pretty amazing the rapidity of the uh, the new viruses that come 
into uh, the world. And I think what I struggle with most is there's not enough discussion about viruses, their origin. And there's, I think there's an, it's intentional that these questions are being left out of the public forum. Where do viruses come from? Where's our proof of that? For example, just today, uh, the WHO announced that they've looked into the possibility of the Wuhan Institute of Virology being the source of this COVID-19 virus, and they've determined there's just not enough evidence to support that theory. So we're going to go back to the bat theory where there's no evidence to support that theory. And I'll get into that in a little detail here in a minute. So, you know, you have that. You have also recently South Africa doing their own study of one of the vaccines that purportedly had a very high success rate in the trials, and they found it to be completely ineffective. And, you know, when you really want to paint the umbrella picture, I think it's important to refer to flu vaccines because the flu virus is an RNA virus, just like COVID. And the efficacy of flu vaccines in clinical trials is zero. It does not work at reducing morbidity or mortality in the flu, according to the most recent clinical trial that I've found. In addition to that, there's another study that says when you get the flu vaccine, your immune system is impaired by it and you actually do worse. Your outcomes are worse with respiratory illness and other respiratory diseases. So all of that gives me pause. And I don't subscribe to the idea that you're either a believer in vaccines or an anti-vaxxer. I'm just a believer in getting to the bottom of what is true, asking our scientists to have some intellectual honesty in their presentations. It's quite fascinating to me the language they use. For example, they say, oh, this virus is mutating and there's all these mutations all around the world. Well, based on all the research I can gather, and I'm not a geneticist, you know, I'm not a virologist. I'm sure those people's knowledge of viruses and how they replicate far exceeds what most physicians are capable of understanding because they spend their life investing in that. But there is so much that's unanswered. And so I'm going to just bring a lot of questions for you today and give you all the tips I can to help you navigate through these challenging times. So where I want to start today is first on the trial. So I went back and looked at the very little bit of evidence that has been submitted. So isn't it kind of shocking to you that the whole world is banking on the vaccines being effective and the clinical trial information is pretty... Well, there's just not a lot of information uh, that I could find on the outcomes, how the study was set up exactly. But what they did was when someone was given an injection of the vaccine and they had a reaction, they were removed from the study. And I believe this was done in every study. And so, because, you know, it's a two-part vaccine. So in this study, if you react in the first part, oh, it's too dangerous for you to do the second one or whatever their reasoning was. So when you start eliminating that many people from the study for a reaction, and then you go to the information out of the UK where they were talking about how everybody's reacting to the vaccine, you start to realize that there was sort of uh, some creative selection of candidates through that elimination. And I think that's how uh, they came out with a 95% success rate. You should know that mRNA vaccines appear to have been worked on for the last 50 years, and they've never been effective 
because they don't initiate a strong immune response. And I'll explain that a little bit later. And when it comes to the flu vaccine we just talked about, it's proven itself to be ineffective. And that's something they've been working on for 80 years. So here's a concept that you should understand out of the gate here. Immunity. What is immunity and how do we get immunity? You know, if you get a cold virus and you pass it on to a family member and that family member passes it on to the next person, and let's just say that virus survives and stays within the family unit and gets back to you three weeks later, do you get another cold? No, you do not. Now, is that because your body identified the virus and has a picture of it? Is that because there's an antibody that has got a let's just call it a physical snapshot of the virus so it responds much more quickly? Well, I'm afraid the answer to that is no. What you have to understand about antibodies is they're really more of the general in the process of fighting a virus. They only keep that snapshot around for about 90 days from the time at which the last virus particle is detected in the body because the body's very efficient. It doesn't need to keep anybody's hanging around for something that's no longer there. So that's why antibodies disappear. Now, there's all this misinformation, in my opinion, it's misinformation that, oh, when the antibodies disappear, your immunity's gone. Well, that's proven itself historically to be a complete falsehood. In fact, the whole conversation is so oversimplified by the medical slash scientific community as if the lay people can't understand it. And we're not really given the opportunity to give consideration to all these things, right? I mean, everyone's just approving these vaccines based on studies. No one's really validated. And, you know, we're committing billions and billions of dollars to the pharmaceutical companies going, thank you so much for rushing this through and doing such a great job. When in fact, we have their internal trial evidence as the evidence. And, and until the very first study that I know of that where we have more of an independent evaluation, they said the vaccine didn't work at all. So what creates immunity? Well, immunity is created not because of a snapshot. And I'll explain to you why that is. So let's say you walk into a room of an infected person and they breathe and you inhale that virus. It goes right into your, the mucosa of your nose and it immediately is identified as a problem, most likely by the mast cells that line the mucosa. I think, we, I don't know why most people don't talk about mast cells. Mast cells are a critical, critical fighter uh, viral protection. And the process begins. And in fact, the research shows that within 12 hours of exposure, the immune cells have multiplied to a peak rate. They are ready to take on this virus and they're just trying to watch and see what it does. Why is this important? Because what they try to imply in the news is that as long as you have a snapshot of the virus, or in this case with the mRNA vaccine, all your body's getting is a snapshot of one of the proteins that the virus creates. So you have a snapshot of the virus. Now your immune system's way better and it can handle the immune issue. And they would always say in these other vaccines, well, we're only giving a little piece of the, of the RNA virus in this vaccine because once the body sees that piece, now anytime that piece shows up as part of a virus, the body's going to be like, aha, I remember you and I'm going to fight you. That is not immunity. If that were immunity, then first of all, everyone would be 
doing great because, you know, just, just having the snapshot, pretty much everyone has an immune system healthy enough to take the snapshot. You know, maybe 0.1% of the population doesn't. So it's not about the snapshot. Immunity is what the body does when it says, I've never seen this before. What does it do? What is the RNA code of this virus? And remember, viruses aren't alive. They don't have a brain. They don't have the ability to create their own mutations to try to evade capture. None of that is true. All viruses are a piece of code that gets inserted into our DNA. It distorts what our DNA was doing in the cells it's infected, and it sends a whole host of different activations based on how many codes for genes that complex RNA virus has. So what immunity is, is when the body follows those pathways and the body says, oh, it's trying to get my cells to make this protein. Oh, it's trying to get my cells to stop this immune pathway. Oh, it's trying to create a protein that allows it to trick the cells into bringing it into this area. There are several genes. I don't honestly know all of the different pathways of COVID. I'm not sure they've talked about all the different pathways. I mean, we can talk about the ACE2 receptor site because that's a big tell for me that this virus is, in fact, man-made. But we'll get to that. Um, So it's really important to understand this immunity thing. So what immunity means is I don't just have a snapshot because snapshots don't last. The scientists will tell you that. The snapshot is 90 days. The snapshot's not what's important. Think about that for a second. If I got a snapshot of the virus, which is what the vaccine is supposed to be, if I got a snapshot of the virus, at most that is giving me an hour advantage, an hour heads up, oh wait, I've seen that before, that advantage is muted by the fact that your cells get the instant snapshot as soon as the virus touches your mucosa. So you're getting a snapshot whether you had one before or not, antibodies are formed within 12 hours. So the snapshot is would only aid in, let's say, increasing your fighting power by 12 hours, if it does that at all. So you could see why that really wouldn't make a big deal. I got a 12-hour head start on fighting the virus, and that's going to determine whether or not I don't get sick or I do. That's not realistic. That is not intellectually honest. And of course, I never see that discussion of, What's really going on? What is the process? Like, I would love it if they would just put it all out there because the viral experts study this stuff. And we'll get to this, the viral institutes. Oh, my gosh. It's just uh, this is, pains me. But the snapshot's not an advantage. The advantage is that when that virus is in your system and it's trying to do all these different things, and remember, they just keep getting more and more complex, the body's figuring out different ways to fix it. So in other words, the body might mutate one aspect of the RNA coding or it might mutate one aspect of the mRNA and then it sees what does that shut down that pathway if it doesn't shut down that pathway it'll try to mutate a different aspect of the virus the virus itself is never transforming itself it's just a piece of code so that's the body creating the mutations and I always just again it's intellectually dishonest when I read the literature from the virologist and they're like oh the mutations are serious and they can be really deadly well sure um the mutations, if they add a whole nother gene that has a whole new other way to evade the detection of our immune system, that is serious. But there's no way that that mutation occurred in the human body because your human body is brilliant. 10,000 cells operating instantly 
trying to shut this virus down every pathway that it can. And depending on, and by the way, remember in infants, they've proven it does. It shuts that sucker down in infants. Each decade, as you get older and older, your immune system gets more and more impaired because we live in a world of toxins and medications and other pathogens that are suppressing the body. So you see with each decade, our ability to fight the virus diminishes. And that's not, you know, that's a generalization. Obviously, there's going to be examples of young kids who are struggling because of what I said. Their immune system is actually not healthy. But in general, the healthiest of the kids are flying through it. So it's not a question of not whether or not the body's smart enough to shut the virus down. It's whether or not it's healthy enough to shut it down. So that immunity piece is about the mutation and the constant mutation of the different attempts of the virus to evade capture till the point where, in fact, the body does win the battle. That's immunity. That's why diseases have disappeared from the planet for the most part, like polio. We've talked about this. Polio, the only instances of polio in the world today are people who had weak immune systems who were injected with the polio vaccine and developed polio from the vaccine. Polio is not traveling around. These diseases are not just traveling around. And yes, there are outbreaks of other diseases we're, we're vaccinating. I don't want to make this a big conversation about vaccines. It's so polarizing. All I'm telling you is immunity doesn't come from a snapshot. Immunity comes from days, if not weeks, of attempts by the body to figure out all the different ways it can shut the system down. And if you've heard me talk before, one of the most amazing things about the human system and this is why I subscribe to this idea that the, the AI intelligence of the human body is literally consciousness. It's consciousness, which is a universally available bit of information. And the proof of that was they did studies on rats and they found that successive generations of rats who were doing, let's say, the, you know, the mice studies where they run them through the maze to find the cheese, they were getting smarter and smarter with each generation. Now, that's not programmed into the DNA, that's because we all share this information. So I do believe that there is a global sharing of information. That may be too far out there for some of you guys. It doesn't really matter. My point is to say, you could believe whether or not immunity is information shared or not, but it is learned. And it is learned through the experience of an infection. It is not learned through the snapshot of one piece of a virus. That's not, the, the virus has all these tricks around the system. Your body doesn't know the tricks by seeing a little piece of the virus. So I hope that's clear. It's a little complicated. I mean, this whole science is complicated and they rely on that. They rely on us to go, oh, the experts must know better. But if you've learned anything in the last few years, it's time to take control of your life. It's time to take control of the information that you're receiving and to really read up. If you care about this enough, you, can, you should go out and, and challenge what I just said or what I'm saying going forward here and go research it yourself. Because when I started digging in deeper to the research, I was like, why aren't we talking about that? Like, it's so obvious once you realize what's out there. Okay, so getting to the mRNA vaccine part of the story, an mRNA, messenger RNA is what it stands for, the M. It's another piece of code is designed to tell the cell to make a specific protein. 
And so I believe what all these different groups, the Modernas and the AstraZenecas and every Pfizer's, what they did, and I don't know if they all went for the same protein or if they all chose different proteins, but they all said, hey, this, this COVID-19 makes this protein, so we're going to get the cells to make that protein, and that protein is going to stick out on the cell wall, and the body's going to go, oh, that protein doesn't belong. Take a snapshot. Well, it hasn't worked for decades and now all of a sudden it's 95% effective. <laughs> I'm struggling with that. But part of the reason it doesn't work is, of course, a protein is not all the sneaky, incredible evasive strategies that that RNA piece of code has. It's just a piece of protein. So the fact that the body sees that protein, it does not actually create an immunity because the, the virus itself is a 30,000 base pair, I think it's 30,000 nucleic acids. I need to double check. It's either 30,000 base pairs or 30,000 nucleic acids, which would mean it's either 60,000 or 30,000 nucleic acids. So I apologize that I don't have that right in front of me, but it doesn't matter. It's a highly complex piece of code and it does a lot of different things. So just the body having a snapshot of its protein does not create immunity. Now you might ask, well, why would they propose this farce? Well, they do it to rake in billions and billions of dollars, but you might ask again, well, how could they get away with that? You know, how are they going to keep the, the farce going? Well, this is how you do it. If you followed me in the past, you'll know that I'm, I've been pretty good about predicting uh, the pathways of what was going to happen here in our world. And one of the predictions I made was that I thought we would reach herd immunity by the end of 2021. And I think we're on path to do that. In order to reach herd immunity, you have to have roughly 66 to 70 percent of the population having been exposed to the virus. And yeah, I mean, you've seen how, how high the cases are right now. I think there's some fatigue out there with people in masks and just getting getting tired of, of all the restrictions and getting just a little bit more lackadaisical, maybe, maybe. And so the infection rate has been very high and uh, this is a highly infectious virus. And so, yeah, I think uh, herd immunity, if it's not by the end of this year, you know, maybe we're going into 2022, but I don't think we're going far into 2022. Well, why is that important? Because I'm telling you, natural herd immunity is happening. The real immunity where you actually get exposed to the virus. Oh my gosh, I pull my hair out when I read articles where they say a vaccine gives you better immunity than the infection itself. That is such nonsense. I don't even know how they can say that. I don't even know how people can repeat it. Such nonsense. And the idea that you've had the infection, but you should get the vaccine anyway. That makes no sense whatsoever. There's clearly side effects to the vaccine. Well, why would you re-expose yourself as if your body didn't figure it all out with the first infection? Don't buy into that at all. Now, unfortunately for all of us, like they're going to essentially indirectly mandate vaccinations for everybody. And that's neither here nor there. Like I don't fear the vaccination and the way they're going to do it. And again, I predicted this a year ago, the way they're going to do it is they're going to tell you, you can't fly on a plane. If you don't have proof of your vaccination, you can't, you can't go to a movie theater. You can't go to a football game. Maybe restaurants will start mandating it. Like it's not going to necessarily come from the government. It's going to come from the policies that are created and so anticipate you're going to have to get a vaccine if you, even if you don't want to, if you want to participate in society. 
whatever. Like I, I, you know, there's only so much fighting in the system you can do. All I'm asking for is some intellectual honesty about why did this mRNA vaccine work when all the others didn't? What do you think's happening? You know, one of the interesting things about mRNA vaccines is historically they don't cause a fever because they're not an infection. The body raises the temperature to fight viruses. It doesn't raise your temperature to fight a protein. And so I'm fascinated by the high incidence of fever from people who are getting these vaccines. And I do suspect there is a virus in the vaccine in addition to the mRNA code. I've suspected that for a lot of years, neither here nor there. I think that's what triggers the reaction. But, you know, I'm not going to be able to prove that. So you can take it or leave it. The information on the ingredients of the vaccine is generally there. I don't know if it's specifically there. When you go back and you look at in the ingredient decks of vaccines historically, they're a bizarre collection of bits of animals and like the eye of Newt and the wing of bat. You know, it's, I'm, I'm being a little facetious there, but not much. It's pretty crazy. And I know a lot of people focus on is there mercury or not mercury? And it is a factor, but... I don't think they're putting mercury into this vaccine. I don't think that's the big problem with the vaccine. It's just, there's a strategy to mercury. I won't go into it because I don't, I don't want you guys to get lost. So some of you are following this and you're kind of intrigued, but your tendency is to go, this guy's probably talking a bunch of BS. I want you to stay open to this because there's a lot of really interesting information uh, that I'm going to share today that has me really confident in what I'm saying. Otherwise, I wouldn't put it out there. Obviously, Most people don't speak out. And on that note, let us move to the people who did speak out. So, you know, the question as to whether or not this particular virus is man-made is one question, right? What I've told you is I think if this one's man-made, well, when do they stop being man-made, right? So if you can get there and appreciate what I'm about to talk about and understanding why this appears to be a man-made virus, then you should at least be open to the fact that if this one was man-made, what was the last one man-made? It was HIV man-made, because there's a lot of evidence to suggest that was true. Yeah, the whole sex with monkeys story. How bizarre was that? Like, come on. So you can go back, okay, wait, if the HIV was man-made, was, I mean, you can go down the list of viruses, Epstein-Barr virus, there is a deep rabbit hole. And I've chased it pretty far, to be honest with you. I just don't have the time to chase it all the way to the nth degree, like looking at, is it, uh, I think it's called, is it Jekyll Island? There's a pathology pathogen lab off the coast of Lyme, Connecticut, or, you know, I should say, I think it's off the coast of Georgia, but near Lyme. I'm not exactly sure, but yeah, it's a well-known, they're working on viral vectors. And so vectors means which types of bugs can be carriers of different types of viruses. So listen, you don't have to believe all of that, but let me give you some evidence as to why this particular virus is man-made. So one of the uh, heroes of the story is Alina Zahn. Alina Zahn works for the Broad Institute, which is funded by MIT and Harvard. She's a viral expert. She's, She's very familiar with COVID, and she wasn't the only one doing analysis. Other scientists did analysis on the genetic makeup of the COVID-19 virus. And what they found was there was strong evidence of insertions. There was strong evidence of exact code 
from SARS, from HIV. In fact, it was 96 in 2013, there was an outbreak of a virus in a community. I think it was in China, but it was a bunch of miners mining under the ground and they all died from this virus or many people died. And the Wuhan Institute of Virology began studying that virus in 2013. Who knows if they studied it before, but it was made publicly aware that the Wuhan Institute of Virology, and I'm sure many other virology institutes around the world, began studying that virus. And it was 96% similar to this virus. And you should know that all these virology labs and the Wuhan Institute of Virology, it literally receives grants from the NIH, from the United States National Institute of Health. The last grant, $3.7 million to study how to get a gain in function of viruses, a gain in function, meaning how do we make this virus even nastier than it is? How do we make this virus trick the immune system even better? Now, you probably heard me say this before, but what the freaking frick? Like, why are we trying to make viruses more virulent and why are we funding that effort? Now, they generally gloss over that question from what, you know, all my research. They kind of say this. They say, well, we're, we want to see how bad it could get so that we're prepared. Really? Well, you've been studying a very similar to COVID-19 virus for almost eight years. Did you come up with any advice for us on how to fight it better? Are any of these virology labs coming up with solutions for viruses? No. We're giving them millions of dollars to make viruses more nasty, to make them more infectious. And they literally said that. They literally did a published a research paper in 2017 where they said, guess what? We have made this SARS-like, very similar virus to COVID-19 virus 10 times more infectious by creating what are called salt bridges. In other words, they charged the nucleic acids. And I think this might have something to do with why they're having to store these viruses at, you know, sub-zero temperatures. So in 1917, they published a paper, I'm 1970, 2017, and then they published another paper in 2018, I believe, where they had some other breakthrough, and they're calling these breakthroughs. We made it 10 times more infectious. Thank you for that, right? Now here's another crazy but true part of this whole picture. It's estimated, and this has been researched, this is clinically proven, that when they look at all the virology labs in the world, they can tell you that based on historical evidence, 20%, there's a 20% chance that they will have an accidental escape of one of their pathogens. What? What? In fact, the U.S. Embassy went into the Wuhan Institute of Virology, I believe back in 2018 and it may have been 2016. And they said, this place is a freaking nightmare. It's a danger. Like we need to reform their practices. It's scary. And China even went in and evaluated it and said, yeah, they got issues. Did they ever fix them? No. Was anything ever done? Zero was done for those assessments. Why aren't we talking about that? It gets a little more eerie, guys, when you hear the next part of this story. And I haven't got into Alina Zahn's, uh, the rest of what she had to say. It's fascinating. So we pay these virology institutes to make the most nasty of viruses. 
By the way, they literally say we're infecting bats. We're infecting pigs. We're infecting mangolins. We're teaching the virus how to get into those tissues. Okay. <laughs> and this is where I, like, I, I try not to get too ramped up because I'm like, what are you doing? Why are we doing this? Why is no one talking about it? Can we just have an honest conversation? So they make these viruses nasty. They make them susceptible to humans. And one of the things that Alina Zahn noted was that there is no version of COVID-19 in the bat community in any resemblance whatsoever. In other words, they would like us to believe that over the last, I don't know, decade, the bats kept reinfecting themselves with this virus. Apparently, they don't have herd immunity, which is BS, right? But they kept infecting themselves, and they kept mutating, and they kept mutating, and lo and behold, after a decade of mutating, they mutated just perfectly tens of thousands of code that works with humans, not with bats. Now, remember the concept of evolution. The concept of evolution is the creatures that accidentally mutate some new ability, that ability has to give them an advantage. And that's why they survive and the rest of them die off and that mutation stays. That is the concept of evolution. Well, that doesn't work, does it? Because why would a bat accidentally keep adding just one nucleic acid at a time and perfectly align tens of thousands of base pairs just perfectly to not only create one gene to evade human capture. And first of all, why is it an advantage to bats? Why did it survive better in bats when bats don't have human ACE2 receptor sites? Why would that make that virus survive above all the other COVID variants that supposedly were infecting all these bats when it was a human gene? But no, not just one. I think they said nine different genes that are creatively evading human capture. And they all occurred randomly in bats because they accidentally spread that random mutation here or there. Now, again, I want to go back and remind you that an RNA virus is not going to mutate itself. It has no brain. It has no sense of survival. There is none of that going on. And you've got to implant that deep in your brain because that's where this mutation story goes awry. Because, of course, the human body, or in this case, the rodent body of a bat, is constantly going to mutate that virus, trying to shut it down. It's not going to go, huh, I got a viral infection. How do I make it stronger? How do I make it trick me better? That's just such nonsense. It's such scientific dishonesty. Like, I don't know how these supposed geniuses in the virology labs can even speak the speak of that without stumbling over themselves and how the entire community can't challenge it. And let me go on a slight tangent on that point. Where our system is broken, well, everything is broken right now in our communities. Everything is broken. But where it is broken in the scientific community is that there's a ton of smart physicians, but they graduate and they go off and they have their practices in their lives and they're focused on helping their day-to-day patient care. So they're not invested in how viruses mutate or anything like that. And then you have the academics. The academic institutions are corrupt. Alina Zahn is in the academic institutions and she specifically said, I know what I'm saying here is career suicide. 
Most people don't opt for the option A, career suicide. That's what I want to do. It's life-threatening. There are scientists who have disappeared from the planet because of the information they've put out. The study that proved, literally proved, that this is a man-made virus was forced to be withdrawn from publication. Now, you can still read it for now, but it was withdrawn and is no longer discussed and it's not scientifically valid, but they won't tell you what's invalid about it. They'll admit that, yeah, that code does resemble the HIV code. So that what they want you to believe is that while this bat was infected with COVID-19 variant, which, by the way, there are no variants with fewer genes. There's not the one gene variant and the two gene variant and three gene variant. You know, remember, there's nine genes, thousands and thousands of accidental mutations that created this magical insertion point into the human body. There are no other variants. Alina Zahn pointed that out. In fact, she said that when you look at where the bat population is that has supposedly rampant COVID, <laughs> I don't know. It's hard for me to believe because bats have herd immunity too. So I'm still struggling with that idea. It's thousands of miles away from ground zero, the meat market. But do you know what's 250 yards away from that meat market where COVID was first discovered and thought to be released? The Wuhan Institute of Virology. The Wuhan Institute of Virology is 250 yards from ground zero. Now, you start putting all those pieces together, and you're going to be like, oh, Dr. Johnson, you're just, you're just crazy. You're going off in all these tangents and all. Listen, the scientists have made it clear. The WHO just announced that that is not possible, and it just doesn't make scientific evidence. Really, the WHO, the WHO that just got, I think, control taken over by China itself. And I'm not, a, I'm not a putting China on this to blame. The National Institute of Health gave the Wuhan Institute of Virology millions and millions of dollars to make viruses more nasty. The Wuhan Institute of Virology has published papers over the last five years showing that they're specifically were working on variants of what now looks like COVID-19. That evidence is out there for the public to see, but they trust that you won't spend the time to dive deep enough. They trust that on that initial Google search that you'll see a whole list of things saying, Oh, here's why that story's BS. You type in man-made COVID-19, and I guarantee you the very first page of Google will say, this is why that's a BS story. And if you go to YouTube, all the videos uh, that pop up on your search will be, this is why that's a BS story. So I'm not going to tell you it's easy to chase it down, but I'm going to ask you if it really matters to you, if this compels you at all, what I think we need is a revolution. We need an awakening. We need to take the power back. We need to stop relying on the supposed experts to tell us, and we need to you know, find those of us who are willing to use our training as physicians or our training as scientists and speak up like Alina Zahn, a hero. So Alina Zahn also pointed out that there are strong evidence of insertion points in the virus. So if you can imagine, and this is true, this is factual, and this is why it's so crazy. Coronavirus, right? This coronavirus as a general virus. It doesn't have a lot of the genes that are in COVID-19. But the specific code of the coronavirus is exact to the point of where this gene is inserted. And then it's started back up and it's exact to the point at which the next gene is inserted. And the genes that are inserted, and she says there's strong evidence of insertion points. Like this virus looks like it's been spliced and diced. She knows she's an expert in that area. And 
when you put those two things together, what they want us to believe is that while the bat was fighting this horrendous COVID-19 infection, I shouldn't say 19, let's call it COVID-18 infection, right? Because it was a version of COVID that hadn't quite mutated the human gene, that while it was busy being infected, it perfectly inserted thousands and thousands of code, nucleic acid code, that was the exact copy of what HIV has in its code. Other parts being the exact copy of what SARS had in its code. What? That's actually mathematically impossible. It's scientifically impossible. It boggles the mind. No rational, reasonable scientist who's unbiased would look at that information and go, oh, I see how that could happen. Like you literally have to. So each bat that gets it, he might even, or she, I don't want to be sexist. He or she might even have a thousand different mutations that it's trying to do on this infection that it's trying to fight off. And then it might pass all those mutations on. Now, chances are, as you get closer to the end of all the mutations, the bats fought the virus. It's no longer infectious. It's not spreading it to anybody else. Remember, they're going to die or they're going to get over it. Immunity, right? Herd immunity. This is how it happens. So they spread those thousand mutations. Remember, those mutations were not perfect code of human genes. That's just so ridiculous a concept. It's hard to even say. They were just random mutations, attempts at shutting the virus down. So they actually make the virus weaker. And then it passed it on to its brother. And his brother got this, this mutated version. But I mean, because they're, they're scaring you and talking about all the mutations they're finding all around the world. Oh my God, so many mutations. Well, yeah, all the, us different humans are trying to shut this virus down and we're mutating it. The virus doesn't mutate itself. I'm repeating that for you so it sticks solidly in your brain. Now, you take that information, you realize, okay, wait. So now the brother has it. He does another, we'll give him a thousand mutations. Now, are they the perfect mutations to start building a gene to go into humans? Well, that would be, I don't know, one to 10 billion, billion, billion to one odds, but okay. And so it passes on and there's a thousand more codes stacking up for the perfect gene just to evade the most amazing immune system on the planet, the human body. And then he passes it on to his children. They add another thousand mutations perfectly, just lining up, just perfect. But again, no advantage to this virus over the population next door where that family of bats has a different set of mutations. So now you're getting some cross-pollination of different mutations. Which one passes? Which one is the infectious one that passes on? Who cares? The point is, it's not even worth chasing down. It doesn't happen. It's not, it's not scientifically valid principle. Random mutations to the point of creating tens of thousands of code base pairs is poppycock. So I would love that to be addressed out there in the scientific community. I don't know. So uh, what else did Alina Zahn find? The strategies that this virus has to get into the human body work in a lot of different pathways. Uh, primarily, they're working in the lungs, kidneys, intestines, and blood vessels. We know they're causing clotting, necrosis of tissue, which is the death of tissue from loss of oxygenation. They're impairing oxygenation. They're leaving long-term damage in the lungs with sense of smell, although that seems to be coming back in most people. Taste and smell is lost. So it is a very complicated virus, and it's doing a lot of different things in the human body, and all of those are specifically human things. And so it just doesn't make sense that it would come from a bat. And Alina Zahn is saying, 
exactly that, that there's just no way, there's no back community that has the variant with only one gene. None of this, the precursors that would have had to have existed in order for this to be evolved into what it is today exist. Without the precursors, how could anybody, how could the WHO organization say the most compelling story is that it came from a creature? It's just silly. And first of all, I mean, first of all, 10th of all, who's hanging out with the bats again? How is this... This bat infecting humans again? It's, oh, it is true. Oh, I'll take it back. I, I guess the you know bat soup is a thing in, in China. So maybe that's why they're like, oh, well, this is how we'll, we'll make that story work a little better. These Chinese, they eat bat soup. But oh, here's my, my point to say about it's not about China. It's not about China because the U.S. funds this. There are other countries around the world that are funding this. This information is so compelling that trust me when I say every government is aware of it. You even heard Trump say that this looks like it's man-made from China, but you know he quickly, I think, was shut down on that conversation. But you're not going to hear that again. Um, nobody is talking about it. How could nobody be talking about it? This is something that's killed and will kill millions and millions of people around the world. It will maim millions of people around the world. It has utterly destroyed economies around the world. And no one's talking about, well, exactly how did it get there? How do we stop this from happening again? What are the institutes doing? Why are we not coming up with solutions for viruses? Have you noticed there really aren't very many solutions for viruses? I don't understand that. That should be the main focus. One third of all cancers are caused by viruses. If you're talking about trying to come up with a solution for cancer, start by coming up with a treatment for viruses. Well, so yes, my opinion is... They don't want a solution for viruses. This is how it all works. And yes, you know, it begs the question. And I know a lot of you are like, wait a minute, wait, wait. So you're saying it's man-made, but it's not really China. It's a global effort. Why the heck would global governments want this to occur? And my best answer is power, control, and greed. Because there's an asset grab of epic proportions happening around the world. People's businesses are being shut down and large corporations are taking over their businesses or taking over their volume, if you will. When you are destitute, when you are sickly, you are less capable of being a loud voice, of standing up and resisting the very interesting but steady pace of uh, the seizure of your rights and your liberties. Like we all say, and I totally get it. You know, if someone says something on Twitter that is highly inflammatory, you know, it could be a Nazi sentiment. It could be, you know, all the hate speech and all the, the divisiveness that is created through social media. But it's a slippery slope of, well, we think that's too much. Who's deciding that's too much, by the way? I don't like that. I think it should be voted upon, not determined. And you might say, but we do vote in our politicians. Do we? Do we? Have you not seen by now that money determines who goes into politics and money determines when they're in their positions in politics, what they choose to do and not do? Have you not realized yet by now that there is no real Democrat or Republican position when it comes to the institutions? They're all working together. They all cleverly go, oh, they just snuck out majority. Darn it. We really wanted to help you guys, but they got the majority and they don't want to do that. Darn that's how they trick you into thinking there's that there you really have a vote when in reality it's big money that is voting and you say oh but dr johnson like 
we can get our funds together and there are there are nonprofit institutions trying to persuade politicians to and and there's influence coming from all sides trust me when i say the kind of money that we're talking about is far beyond elon musk money there is massive let's just say there's massive wealth that has not been assigned to any particular family because it's all divided up into accounts and trusts and businesses. And, you know, you've seen the studies where they say you could break down that you could trace a lot of corporate institutions back to just a handful of owners. There are just a handful of owners running the world. So that's just my perspective. It is based on facts, but I know not everyone's done that research, so they're not there yet. If you are interested in that, you should definitely check it out. Okay. What else do I want to say here on this issue? So there are immune cells that are triggered in a viral attack. One of the most important ones is interleukin-6. It appears to be one of the main ones that triggers a fever. Now, I want you to think about the whole fever thing. Here's an interesting study. They found that 70% of animals infected die compared to 16% of animals when they are giving aspirin for a fever response 70% of animals infected with a virus die compared to only 16% when they are given an aspirin to reduce the fever. In other words, your fever is brilliant. Your fever is your intelligent body saying, this is the best way to fight this virus. And what's the first thing that medicine has told you you need to do? Take an aspirin, take a Tylenol, take ibuprofen. Don't do that. Do not suppress your fever. If your fever is going way high, I'm okay, yes. Like maybe if your fever is at 105 and they're concerned for your life, I might give the advice to go ahead and try to suppress it. Although that tells me that, that your body's fighting hard. Like your body's not stupid. It's not creating a fever because the virus told it to. It's creating a fever to shut a virus down. And really, and it, sometimes it does that with other infections, but it doesn't do that with a piece of protein, like what was created by mRNA. So I am fascinated by the fever response that uh, most people are getting or a lot of people are getting as they are vaccinated. The key areas, I think, the medications you need to think about when you are trying to fight this virus that you don't want to be on are antihistamines, antacids, steroids, immunomodulators like hydroxychloroquine, and beta-2 agonists. Now, I have friends who are very intelligent people who tell me that hydroxychloroquine is the real scam, that it actually is effective against COVID and that, and it's also called Plaquenil, um, and that it is effective to helping the fight against COVID and that they're suppressing it intentionally to kill people. I mean, I have friends who believe that 5G is triggering COVID. Here's what I want to explain, and I'll just, I want to stay relatively neutral in that I absolutely believe hydroxychloroquine is a poison to the system. It suppresses immunity, so there's no possible way that it's beneficial to fighting a virus. But, you know, I guess I could be proven wrong. I don't know. But the, the concept that, like, these medications are lowering your ability to fight viruses. They are suppressing mast cell activity, which is one of the critical activities. And one of the things I've harped on with you guys in the past is oxygenation. Tissue oxygenation is one of the most critical parts to the immune fight against viruses. So exercising and you know doing your best to improve tissue oxygenation is going to be one of the biggest boons in your ability to get over the virus quickly and what i'm noticing is there are a lot of people who where the virus is smoldering in them because their system can't quite shut it down 
And you should check out protocols with immune defense to, to help. Immune activator is a, our special oxygen mo- patented oxygen molecule, which I believe is uh, being taken up by the immune cells in, and supports improved antiviral fighting capacity. I, I can't not say that we are having amazing success with our protocols. And so if, uh, you can always write me at drben at osmosisbeauty.com. And um, with your specific questions about what protocol you should be taking, if you're somebody who's struggling with chronic symptoms of this uh, virus and or recent infection of this virus, this is a protocol I submitted to the FDA because of my success rate. They declined to evaluate it. This is a protocol I submitted to the leading researcher of COVID in the country, and they declined to take my money and do a research study. So if you're asking, well, why, if you have this great thing, are you not doing research on it? Ah, well, (laughs) it's a complicated world. Um, You know, I don't have that kind of pull, unfortunately. So I think I've covered it all. I was going to call out a few people that I think are particularly bad actors in all of this. I think it just makes this too political. I don't want to be political. What I want to share with you is this. There's pretty good evidence right now in the very first independent study that the vaccines aren't living up to the hype, number one. So if you've been holding out and thinking, listen, let's just keep our communities shut down in perpetuity until the vaccine has given us herd immunity, good news, bad news. The herd immunity is probably not coming from vaccines, but the good news is it is coming. It's happening. The second piece of the story I'm going to leave you with is if you hear about mutations where the virus is more infectious, don't fear that because the research studies on viruses show that when they make, they make, and literally these are research studies of people making viruses more infectious, crazy, uh, but when they make viruses more infectious, they don't do as well. The body manages them better. Something about how the genes needed to make it more infectious, make it more susceptible to attack from the human body. So take some consolation in that. But more importantly, don't just accept that, oh, there's mutations all around the world. Because here's, to me, how the agenda plays out. They launched the vaccine really fast, right? We saw that. They're like, bring it to market. And we're all applauding how amazing it was. They brought it to market so fast. But the timing of it is perfect because by the time they complete distributing the vaccines over this year will be about the time when actual real infectious herd immunity will have occurred. And if not, you know, it definitely you're going to see the infection rate decline. But they're going to describe COVID-20 or COVID-21. And they're going to tell you that it's got this new mutation that makes it special. Well, I would love for them to explain how a thousand to 10,000 base pair code of a new gene that that figured out a new way to evade capture, that figured out a new way to supposedly evade all the intelligence that that mRNA peptide apparently gave the body, that that in fact will require another vaccination. You need a COVID-20 vaccine now. In fact, you don't just need it. You have to take a COVID-20 vaccine or else you can't participate in society. I want to see that I want to see the genetic structure of COVID-19, and I want to see the genetic structure of COVID-20. They can all talk about the mutations, but put them in the scientific literature for us to do an analysis of. Let's see if it makes sense that in one year, this virus that has no brain that's just a piece of code created thousands of base pairs randomly mutated by human bodies all around the world, somehow passing from one to the other so 
so lucky this virus. Oh my God, the good fortune to create this new gene that evades human capture in one year. I mean, evolution has a lot of holes in it, but I don't know what scientist is going to tell that story, but they will. They're going to tell that story. New evolved gene, you need a new vaccine, and it's going to become a flu thing. Every year, you got to get the vaccine because it's a new strain. Well, I'd like to see all the strains of the flu virus and how they changed year after year for you to tell me there's a new strain. Really? Really? Flu keeps evolving? The fact that flu persists is its own suspicious nature because herd immunity somehow doesn't apply to the flu vaccine because that flu vaccine, which is, again, a piece of code, no brain, no evasive capacity, keeps evolving every year. I'm struggling with that. So I guess I'm going to leave it there. Thanks for listening, guys. I hope you take this to heart. I want you to stay vigilant, keep an open mind. Don't just accept the news on its face value, but also don't chase down the pathways too deep. Oh, I guess a point I didn't quite to bring to home was the reason why the 5G story took off. And these are intentional tangents because what they want to do is when there's a real question of validity, it gets lumped in with all the 5G stories. So now all of a sudden, and if you believe in the 5G story, I'm sorry, like I, I just don't personally believe that 5G is triggering a piece of code in your body to act differently or whatever it is. Remember for a long time, the other story was there's no real virus. It was all a fake. They were faking us out and the hospitals weren't really full and all that. How quickly did that one dissolve away? So my point is to say it's all these different conspiracy theories that are intentionally put out there so that you're, you're lost in a sea of them. Don't let yourself get lost in that sea. Yes, if you want to chase something down, but chase it down. But don't accept it on face value because they're intentionally trying to distract from the reality, which is there's a whole bunch of scientific gobbledygook being shoved in our faces that makes no sense. And it's time to be intellectually honest. It's time to stand on your own. It's time to take your power back, have a voice, use your brain. I don't know where this goes. Like, I don't know if we're going to allow this to keep occurring, but you've heard my perspective on it and I'll leave it there. I promise you going forward that I will do my best to lighten the conversation. I don't know if I'll do another one of these. I don't know if this thing is uh, you know, going to even be allowed to persist on the webosphere, but I think it's quite valid information. I applaud Alina Zahn and her bravery to come out and I hope there are more scientists out there, maybe who actually got this and heard the message and said, you know what, someone's got to come out and talk about this because uh, it's not happening the way it's being portrayed and uh, the truth needs to come out. So a more beauty and health stories, much lighter subjects to follow. Thank you again for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Ask Dr. Ben. Please leave a review if you can. And subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts to get access to all of my upcoming episodes. My website is osmosisbeauty.com and you can find me on Facebook at Osmosis Beauty. And you can also follow me on Instagram at Osmosis underscore beauty. Thanks for listening.